open your Bibles up to the book of James, chapter 2, verse 20. James 2, 20. The series is called Faith in the Fire. We're learning about what faith looks like when life gets hard. And I have a few pictures here that will help us understand what God is trying to teach us in his word today. Check out this picture. Imagine your friend calls you out and says, get in. And that's his ride. So you do. And you sit down next to this friend and you say, where are we going? And he says, heaven. And you say, but this car doesn't run. And then he says, trust me, we'll get there. Would you believe him? No. Imagine he pulls up in this next car and says, hop in. And you do. And you say, where are we going? And he says, and he says, and you say, but this car doesn't. And he says, don't worry, we'll get there. Would you believe him? No. If you sit down in a car that doesn't work, you're going nowhere. Now, today, the Bible asks this question, does your faith work? Because if it doesn't work, you're sitting in that car, going nowhere, thinking you'll one day get to heaven. The question we're asking today is, how can I know if my faith works? The Bible points to a man named Abraham as an example of genuine faith. His faith worked. We're going to learn from him about how we can know if we truly are saved, going to heaven with a faith that works. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word together. Father, thank you that you cover this topic. You force us to look at our faith and not to assume that it's working, but to truly scrutinize our relationship with you, to know that we know that we are on our way to glory with you forever. Test us, O Lord, and try us. Examine our hearts and minds. We pray that your word would be the sword you said it is, dividing, O Lord, between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that it would discern our thoughts and our intentions, and that we would learn where we truly stand with you today. Only you can do this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in James 2, verse 20, uh, those of you who are more linear people, you have to understand that we skipped a chunk from where we were last week, and that's because I covered uh, James chapter 2, verses like 14 up to 20 on Easter Sunday. So if you weren't here Easter Sunday, you have to go online, listen to that sermon, then that'll fill in the blanks for you. But James is uh, uh, trying to figure out here if your faith is true or false, alive or dead. How do I know? Well, you have to ask the question to begin with. I'd encourage you to take notes in your bulletin, and if you are, you can jot this down. It's a simple question. Is your faith useless? Ask yourself that. Does it work? In James 2, verse 20, it says this. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James has a tone here, an attitude. He's got an edge to him because there are people in the church he's writing to who would stand up and disagree with what he says. All right? So I just need one person to stand up and say, I disagree. Go ahead, do it. Somebody do it. Come on, somebody stand up and say, I disagree. Good. Ushers, remove her. From... <laughs> she actually works here. So, <laughs> What would that feel like? So James knows when this arrives, there's going to be people who are like, I don't agree with you. And he's anticipating that. And, and he's getting quarrelsome here. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? The word for foolish there means empty, as in like empty-headed. 
You foolish person. You're thinking something that's empty. And what is it? What is it? You're thinking that your faith that doesn't have works is going to save you. Faith apart from works, he calls it useless. It means it doesn't work. It's inactive. It's idle. It doesn't move. Check it out. Here's this car again. This is the faith of people if their faith doesn't work right. It's not taking them to heaven. James sorts people in the church into two lines here. There are those who have a living and active faith and they're on their way to heaven. Then there are those who think they have a living faith, but they're not on their way to heaven. I don't know about you, but boy, I want to know if I'm standing in that line yesterday. I want to know right now if I'm in the wrong line. And James right here raises the stakes and says he's warning us about something that's foolish. Hey moms, have you ever had to warn your kids about something that's foolish? Have you ever had to warn them in advance of a foolish choice they were about to make? When my oldest daughter, Ellie, was two, we were in South Carolina on vacation, and she stood on a couch, and there was this uh, wall light, like a lamp, and she really wanted to reach out and touch the light bulb with her bare hand. So as good parents, we said, Ellie, don't touch that. And she looked at us, and because she's a pastor's kid, what did she do? She reached out again, and we were like, no, 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 you can't touch that. Well, somehow, she managed to get her bare hand on this light bulb, and it was hot. And so what happens then? Ah, screams and cries, and we hold her, and we say, you should have listened to us, right? Gently, but parents, isn't that what we do? Moms, isn't that what you, what you do? Don't you help your kids by warning them when they're about to do something foolish? God's doing that for you and me right now. And he says, hey, it's foolish to think that a faith without works can save you. Because it can't. That's alarming. Is your faith useless? James lays out two bad plans that are doomed if you follow them. You can jot this down. The first one is the faith without works plan. Meaning you have faith in Christ, or at least you say you do, but it doesn't show up in your life. That plan won't work. Um, What does it mean by works? Well, this is a person who talks the talk, but they don't walk the walk. In the book of James, works means acts of love toward people and God. Uh, Paul talks a lot more about works of righteousness, like uh, keeping certain laws and observing certain commandments and, and special days. Paul uses the word a little differently than James. James isn't talking about ceremonial or religious works, okay, like going to church. He's talking about works of love and mercy and compassion and devotion to God and to others. So what does it mean to have faith without works? Well, in the book of James, he lays out at least six ways that you can show your faith. One of them is by loving the needy. Also speaking to others respectfully. Also resolving conflict in a mature fashion. Also not loving money. Also waiting on God patiently and trusting God when you're sick. These are the acts of love, the works that should accompany any person who has true saving faith. And if you don't find love for God and others in those ways, then, then, then the Bible is discrediting the claim that this is a saving faith. Um, James doesn't spend a lot of time talking to the person who's faking their Christianity really well. Okay, so I'm not talking about the high schooler who's coming to youth group and making it to church and singing the songs, but they've got a lot of secrets that they're not telling anyone. All right, there are Bible verses that apply to hypocrites uh, who have secrets and they're doing a great job faking being Christians. 
James is more talking to people who are doing a terrible job of acting like Christians. It's glaringly obvious that they're not acting like Christians, but they're saying it. And they're kind of the only ones convinced that they truly are Christians. And this is the vast majority of people in the United States who would claim to be Christians because they went to a class or they attended a ritual or their parents did something for them or some mail from church comes to them. Based on that, they would say they're Christians. But there's nothing in their life to show an ongoing living relationship with Jesus Christ. That faith can't save. They're sitting in a rusty old car with no tires and they won't get to heaven. Faith without works doesn't work. But there's another bad plan. Works without faith. You can jot that down. Works without faith don't work. This is the person who doesn't believe true things about God. They don't believe black and white verses like Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They don't believe that. That's foggy to them. That's blurry. Maybe there are other ways out there. Who am I to tell someone their religion is false? And and, and I believe parts of the Bible are true. This person doesn't have faith. They don't believe the truth that God has given them. Now they're working though. They help the poor. They give to charity. They raise their children. They, They have some religion in their life. Those works can't save them without faith. This plan is doomed. If all they do is good deeds and they don't believe the truth about Christ, they're in that car, that rusty old car that's taking them nowhere. Without faith, works don't work. Without Jesus, we're doomed. The bottom line is, James is trying to show us that if we don't have faith and works, something's missing. Check it out. Here's a picture, and I want you to tell me what's missing. Tell me what's missing. (laughs) The bike! It's glaringly obvious what's missing. You didn't even have to wonder for a second. Here's the next picture. Tell me what's missing here. The bench. Where'd it go? All right, now go back to that first picture with the guy, with the bike. Um, that's you if you have faith but not works. There's something glaringly obvious that's missing in your life. And you're not going to go anywhere like that, Okay. And, and the Bible's warning you right now, if you don't have a faith that works, then you're not heading to heaven. So, is your faith useless? Well, I really want to know. Thankfully, the Bible gives us encouragement on how to find out if our faith works. The way now we, we learn is we look at the person of Abraham. His faith worked, and we have to ask ourselves if we're like him. So look at verse 21. It says in James 2, 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. So he introduces Abraham here. He mentions something Abraham did with his son, and then he makes an observation for us. Faith was active with his works, and faith was completed by his works. We're learning all about faith from this. Jot this down. Number one is, is your faith useless? Number two is, my actions must prove my faith. Abraham's actions proved his faith. Your actions must prove your faith. Let me review the story of Abraham here, which I told on Good Friday. If you were there, you'll remember that. Uh, But Abraham lived 2000 BC. That was a long time ago. And the story is this. God promised to send a blessing to the world through Abraham's offspring. That blessing included your salvation and mine. 
because that blessing would be Abraham's great, 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 etc., grandson named Jesus. Abraham would be the lineage through which Christ would come in to the world. In fact, all Israel would be born from Abraham's descendants. If, if God didn't keep his promise to Abraham, you couldn't get saved and neither could I because we needed Christ to come into the world. So here we are, 2000 BC. Wow, 2,000 two years before Christ. And God's talking to a man about the Messiah. He makes a promise that there would be a child. Here's the problem. Abraham was 75 years old and he had no kids. God's talking to a 75-year-old man about being a daddy. Do you know any 75-year-olds who are expecting? Are you having baby showers for 75-year-olds in your life? I didn't think so. You know, I was curious about this when I found out that uh, Abraham was 100 years old and, and Sarah, his wife, was 90 when she gave birth to their first child. And I thought to myself, I wonder, the, I wonder how old the, the oldest, newest mom on our records is. So I went to Wikipedia and I, and I looked it up, and I found out that there's a woman named Maria del Carmen Busada. We've got her picture. Maria del Carmen Busada became the world's oldest new mother in Barcelona on December 29, 2006. She's, she was 66 when she gave birth to twins. I hear gasps. Oh, my. 66, and she has twins to raise? My goodness, that means they'll graduate when she's... They'll get married when she's, and, and my goodness, she's going to have her hands full. Oldest new mother on record. And yet Sarah was 90 when she had Isaac. It was an impossible birth. It was a miracle child. His name was Isaac. So this child came into the world. And imagine Abraham's confusion when God said, I want you to take this son, your only son who you love, and I want you to bring him to a place I'll show you. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. What? What? The child, the promised child that will lead to Christ, and, and Abraham did it. He went up on the mountain where God showed him, and he was about to sacrifice his son, and we're all wondering, how could God do this? Your salvation and mine is right there on that mountain, and it's about to go into the grave. Why would God do that? Well, listen, when you understand the setting, it makes perfect sense. God led Abraham to a place called Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the hill on which Jerusalem is built. So Abraham was standing in the very region, if not in the very place, where 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ would be sacrificed for the salvation of the world. Do you see what God's doing? A father giving his son on the mountain around Jerusalem that leads to the blessing for the world. God's pre-enacting how Jesus would die. Abraham's got no clue what's going on, but 2,000 years before it happened, God's showing us the plan. And at the last minute, before Abraham did follow through with that sacrifice, God stopped him and said, no, no, stop. The New Testament tell, tells us the only reason Abraham was going to go through with it is because he believed that God would raise Isaac up from the dead. Abraham believed in the resurrection first. No one had ever come back from the dead. Do you see how God formed his faith? 2,000 years before Christ came, there's a father offering his son, believing that son would come back to life and the promise would come to the world. Wow, how consistent is our Bible? But Abraham's actions here were applauded by God. 
In fact, God said, now I know that you fear me because you would not spare your only son. And therefore, Abraham's faith was justified right there. Uh, And God saw that there was proof that his faith was valid. Saving faith always works. Saving faith always shows up in actions. And that's true in Abraham's life. Uh, The two observations here underneath number two, you can jot this down. My faith and my works should be inseparable. It says here in verse 22, his faith was active along with his works. His faith was there. His actions were there. Uh, Are your faith and your actions inseparable? Or does your faith happen periodically and your deeds don't really show up much with them? They have to be inseparable. Religion can't just be a thing you do once in a while because you have to. Some people say, well, sure, I'm religious, but I'm not going to let it change my life or anything. That's not saving faith. You know, we're being pressured by our culture to leave our faith at church, to leave our faith at home, and to not bring it out where we go. Am I right? You feel pressured to just keep quiet about what you believe. Talk about that at home. Talk about that at church. Don't talk about that at work. Don't talk about that at school. There's pressure to leave it at home. Hey, listen. True faith can never make that deal. You can't get me without Christ because he lives in me. I can't leave faith at home. He comes with me everywhere I go. If Christ is alive in you, you can't get faith without works. Everywhere you go, Christ is living in you and through you, and people will see the difference. My faith and my work should be inseparable. I love when we find celebrities who are actually living out their faith, and they're found at all corners of the earth. We find them in sports, we find them in government, we find them in entertainment. And uh, here's a picture of Candace Cameron Bure. She's a Christian, and her brother is Kirk Cameron. They both got saved later in life. Uh, Brother-led sister to faith in Christ. Isn't that cool? She's on The View. She was also on Full House, right? She's on The View. Uh, I wouldn't want to go on The View one time. I share my opinion. She goes there every day. She's on The View every week talking about her faith. And so this last week, she stirred up controversy because she wore a shirt on uh, to work that says, Jesus saves, bro. And she wouldn't change. She's like, nope, this is how I'm dressed today. Wow, that's guts. I don't have those guts. I wear a Christian t-shirt to work, and I'm around pastors. That's easy. You wear a Christian t-shirt to work, maybe it's a little harder. She wears it. Millions of people are watching. I don't know how I feel about her wearing that shirt. Social media. But her faith and her works are inseparable. They're glued together. And that's true for every believer. Here's the next sub-point here. My faith and my works should be inseparable. And write this down. My faith should grow stronger when tested. It says in verse 22, his faith was active with his works and his faith was completed by his works. We're learning about the relationship between faith and works. And here this nuance is his faith was completed by what he did. What does that mean? It could be translated matured by or perfected by or brought to an end by his his works. What this assumes is that your faith is growing. It's a process. It starts as a crisis at a moment in time, but then it grows every moment after that. And what we see here is Abraham's faith kept growing stronger when he was tested. He he showed spiritual progress, one test after another. 
You read through his story in Genesis 15 on, and you see that he was asked to leave home, everything behind, and he did. Uh, He was asked to wait 25 years before he would become a father, and he did. He had problems in his family, and the big one is God asked him to offer up his own son, and he did. When his faith was tested, it grew stronger. And when your faith is tested, if it's true, it will grow stronger. My faith should grow stronger. Hey, God tests and grows your faith because he's mean. Because he doesn't love you. Because he'd prefer for you to have a miserable life. God tests and grows your faith because he doesn't want you to be happy. Is that true? That's how you feel when life gets hard. It's how you feel when you have financial issues, when that person drives you crazy again, or when you've prayed for something and God said no. You feel like God just is not making your life what you want it to be. Hey, how is God testing and growing your faith right now? What is making your walk difficult right now? Because the thing you want out of your life is the thing God has brought into your life to grow your faith. This is your shot. This is your chance to show people that Christ is alive in you. This is your chance to display your love for Christ when it's hard. This is your chance to show people love they don't deserve because of the love God gave you that you didn't deserve. This is it. Oh, I'd be a much better Christian if it was just sunny out and I didn't have any worries. Yeah, right. You'd be impossible to live with. You think winning the lottery would make you a better person to be around? Try again. If all your dreams came true, you would have the hardest walk of faith ever because you'd have nothing to trust God for. Be careful what you expect this life to give you. God doesn't want to take away all of your fears. God doesn't want to become unnecessary in your life. He wants to become supreme. Is that what you want? Are you deep down hoping one day God becomes unnecessary in your life? That's a shameful desire. You should desire for God to become supreme in every part of your life. So be careful what you long for. My faith should grow stronger when tested. Is that happening in your life? Do you remember when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and the storm came and they cried out, we're going to die, we're going to die, and they woke him up and then he calmed the storm because he controls the weather. And then he turned around to them. Do you remember he asked them a question? Do you remember he said, where is your faith? If you're in a storm, maybe Christ is asking you the very same question. Hey, where is your faith? My actions must prove my faith. And Abraham gives us a great example of a man who when he was tested... His faith showed up. Is that true in your life? Or when you're tested, when life gets hard, does your faith vanish? Your trust in God vanish? Your love for God disappear? Maybe your faith is not true then. Number one, is your faith useless? Number two, my actions must prove my faith. My faith and work should be inseparable and my faith should grow stronger when tested. Write this down. Number three, we'll camp here for a little while. I must be made righteous through faith in Christ. We have to unpack this. It'll take a little time because there's naughty theology tangles uh, in these verses. But it says in verse 23, 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This is confusing because Paul in the book of Romans says a person is justified by faith and not by works. James comes along and says, no, a person is justified by works and not faith alone, which puts me in a hard situation because I have to stand up here and explain to you how these two things go together. I'll take a volunteer if anyone wants to come on up here and help me explain this. I'd, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> the little guy here puts his hand up. <laughs> you can get more than you bargained for there. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not that hard. Let's just trace what's going on here in the text. It says in verse 23, Scripture was fulfilled. That says, so he's quoting something said in the Bible. What James is looking back to is Genesis 15, 6, where God took Abraham outside, showed him the stars, and said, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Abraham was about 85. It says, quotes right here, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. 85-year-old guy, around 85, looks up, believes what he heard. By faith, he was declared, made, considered righteous in God's sight. Now, 30, 40 years goes by. Isaac is now teens, 20s. Four decades. That's when God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. When Abraham does that, God calls down, now I know. Now I know that you fear me. And it says that he was justified in the book of James, by what he did, considered faithful. Now, what is James saying here? That though Abraham at 85 years old believed and was told he was righteous, went through this 40-year screening process where God was like, I don't know, I, don't, I haven't seen enough yet. And then suddenly when he offered Isaac, God's like, finally, I know. No, that's not at all what he's saying. He's saying the faith in the beginning was justified by the evidence that kept coming. His faith didn't start and stop on the same day. It kept showing up, which is why God knew that it was valid. And listen, if you look back in your history with God and you point back to some report you wrote or class you took or some aisle you walked and ritual you completed or something your parents did for you and say, based on that, I'm a Christian. But there's no evidence decade after decade after decade, your works are condemning you. There's no evidence that that faith is real. But if when you were five, six, seven, you were saved and you're like, I don't remember exactly my story, but your faith keeps showing up. It's in that sense that your works are justifying your faith. Your works didn't save you, but your works prove you were truly saved. I must be made righteous through faith in Christ. In verse 23, it says, Abraham believed God. He believed what he heard. Do you know that in order to be saved, you can't believe any old thing? You can't believe everything. You have to believe what God said. How were people saved in the Old Testament? 
Well, they had to offer up a lot of animal sacrifices. They had to follow the Ten Commandments. Wrong. Abraham is here 2000 BC before any of that was around. He believed what he heard, and God said, You're righteous. It's always been by faith, consistently throughout the whole Bible. Faith is what justifies us. He believed God, and it says here it was counted to him as righteousness. This answers the question, how do I become morally acceptable in God's court of law? The word justified means, how do I become right by God's standard of measure? You will appear before the judge in the courts of heaven. What hope do you have of being declared righteous in God's sight? If you're working your tail off and trying to do your best and avoiding the major sins, you're going to fall short. The only hope you have of fulfilling God's righteous standard is believing what you heard from God about Jesus. That's it. How many of you have ever had the uncomfortable experience of actually appearing in front of a judge in a court of law? Go ahead and raise your hand up if you actually appeared before a judge. Yeah. Now stand up and tell us why. (laughs) Just kidding. My hand is up and I will tell you why. I was in college, and I got pulled over because I was speeding. And so I had to go to court because I didn't have my insurance card on me. And so the cop was like, you don't have insurance, you need to go to court. I do have insurance. Well, prove it to the judge. So there I am, sitting in this courtroom, shaking. And they call my name, Ryan Hall, and I walk up. And there's this attorney over there, and he just is looking to put me away for life. He's just giving me that look. He's like holding the jumpsuit in his hand. And I'm just like trying to remember everything I learned from people's court, but I'm just blanking out. So there I am. And the judge is like, how do you plead? And I'm like, not guilty. Do you have proof of insurance? Yes. Show show the attorney. So I walk over and I give him the card and then I walk back over to my side. And uh, he looks at it. He looks at me. He looks at it, looks at me and he says, Your Honor, I see no expiration date or effective date on this insurance card. We don't know when it started or when it ended. This proves nothing. The judge says, do you have any other proof of insurance? And I was like, (gasps) and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't say anything. And I'm like, that's it. Farewell, life. I'm going away. Somebody hand me a harmonica. Thankfully, someone came to court with me. Guess who it was? Mom. So as a college student, it's humiliating. I tried to look like a tough guy. College student, I turn around like, Mom? And my mama got up with her purse. She became my defense attorney. Johnny Cochran couldn't do nothing for me. There she is, and she reaches into her purse. Every mother in her purse has everything necessary to protect her children at all times. She could have pulled out a flare, a bazooka, I don't even know, but she pulled out something and she stared that attorney down. And I tell you what, he backed off and my mama sprang me out of jail and I'm forever grateful. <laughs> I'm here today. I'd have that tin cup going up against the bars right now if mama wasn't there. Hey, maybe you remember what that was like standing before the judge. You're so helpless. You have no authority. And that day is coming when you stand before the heavenly court of God, worse than the Supreme Court. And the records being kept in heaven are flawless. And listen, sometimes people come to Jesus because they hear all their sins can be forgiven. The bad I did could be forgotten by God. It's only half of it. Do you know that through faith in Jesus... 
You're not just emptied of your sins. You are made righteous. This is an amazing truth that could change your life. How can I be acceptable in God's presence? How can I know that I know that I don't have to worry where I stand with God on judgment day? The only way you can have confidence is if God looks inside of you and finds Jesus. When he looks in you, if he sees his son, he sees a perfect person. It's, this is shocking. It's as if you have only always done the perfectly righteous thing. Not only are all of your sins gone, they're replaced as if you've nailed it every day of your life flawlessly. That's how God sees you if Jesus is in you. It's your only hope of being declared righteous in God's court of law. If you get up there with your book and you're like, I did a few good things, you're going down. That faith can't save you. You have to admit that you need Jesus, then you're saved by faith in Christ. Did you write that down? I'm saved by faith in Christ. It's the only way. It's your only hope of being morally acceptable to God. Did you read carefully how it phrased that? It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted to him. Credited to him. Righteousness is a gift, not a paycheck. If you're wearing yourself out, worried if you've done enough on judgment day, you don't even get it. God has to credit your account with something you've never earned. I read a story recently about a man. If you're looking for a new bank, I've got just the bank for you. Uh, you've got a bank with uh, Wells Fargo because uh, there was recently a 22-year-old man, a Wells Fargo customer in Pennsylvania, who was checking his account, and he, the day before, had $40 in, account, in his account, and the next day he woke up to $69,000 that had accidentally been deposited into his account. So what did he do? Instead of alerting the bank, or even just playing wait and see, the man took a trip to Orlando, bought furniture and a new dog and a used car, and gave some family members cash to pay their bills. And he went to jail. He says this, I knew it was going to catch up to me. I just didn't know it was going to be this bad. He's facing two felony charges, theft of property lost and receiving stolen property. He now has to pay back the entire amount because it doesn't belong to him. Listen, God has to credit righteousness into your moral bank account because you are so bankrupt, your deficit before God is bigger than the federal deficit. You should be shocked by that statement. The government has a better chance of paying off all of its debts than you have a chance of paying off your debt before God. You can never repay what you've done. But God can deposit it. He can credit it to you, but he'll only do it through faith. In Romans 4.11, Abraham is called the father of all who believe. That's where your relationship to God starts. When you believe the truth that you need a savior because you can't save yourself. Nothing happens between you and God before that. Once that does happen, though, it creates a chain reaction where you learn to walk by faith through all of your days. Which is why in Romans 4.12, Abraham is also called the father of all who walk in the footsteps of faith. Meaning it keeps coming up again and again. We get this backwards, though, too often. 
People live their lives thinking they'll just add a little more religion, a few more good deeds, and they'll build up their faith until it's enough for God to accept them. Meaning they think the crisis comes at the end when they find out if they get into heaven or not. That's backwards thinking. The crisis is right here, right now. Do you agree my son can save you? If you agree with that and you accept Jesus as Savior, crisis over. You live with the assurance that you're going to heaven. If you think your whole life you have to keep building it up and then you worry at the end where you'll go, you won't make it. That's not saving faith. I'm saved by faith in Christ alone. And it says here then, Abraham is called a friend of God. You can enjoy friendship with God, a personal relationship. You can live to please him. So many people think they have to live in fear of God, but you don't have to. And it says here in the last verse, in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Imagine on judgment day, it's as if your faith is standing there with no surrounding evidence. Faith alone won't save. But if your faith is filled with a parade of proof that Jesus is living in you, that faith can save We are saved by faith alone, but our faith is proved by our works. Our claim to faith is justified by our actions. Jot this down. If your faith hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. I must be made righteous through faith in Christ. I'm saved by faith in Christ. And if your faith hasn't changed you, it really hasn't saved you. God looked at Abraham's actions for proof of his faith. And this is the same for you and me. And Abraham's faith was not standing all alone without evidence. His actions paraded his faith before God and before people. Hey, are you saved? Do you know your faith will save you on judgment day? Here's the simple process that everyone goes through. You can write these down in your bulletin too. Faith begins with a crisis. The crisis is accept Jesus as Savior. Many never get to that first step. Here's the second one. Obvious realignment. You repent of known sins and your life is different. The third one is this, gradual maturity. You walk in newness of life and before you know it, every single area of your life is different because Jesus is with you. Now listen, if you don't have the second and the third parts, then you don't have the first. If there's not obvious realignment, where you're leaving known sins behind and gradual maturity, where the parade of evidence keeps coming as you walk in newness of life, then you don't have faith that can save you. But you can. And I want to challenge you that you can accept Jesus as Savior today. Listen, the moral of this message is not get to work. I hope you don't hear this and say, boy, I should really be doing more moral deeds. No. If your life isn't filled with proof, the message today is get saved. Trust Jesus as Savior. Then your life will begin to align with that. Are you really saved? Is there an abundance of evidence that justifies your claim? Today can be the day that you truly know that you know that you're saved by faith in Jesus and that your life begins to show the fruit of that relationship with Jesus. But you have to humble yourself, ask Jesus to save you, and repent of your sins. I want to give you a chance. I want to give people who thought they were Christians a chance right now to get saved. I want to pray with you right now and pray for you. Let's all close our eyes and bow our heads and let's pray together based on what we just heard. 